Hello beautiful people and welcome back to another episode of Simply Ambivalent. As you know, I am your host Arkea, or maybe you don't know and it's your first time listening. Either way, you're welcome and I hope you continue to visit or not, no pressure. (laughs) You can find today's episode on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platforms that you may use. And always remember that you can follow me on Instagram at Simply Ambivalent. Um, make sure you put an underscore in between the simply and, of course, the ambivalent. Uh, but now let's dive hey into y'all. another. Sorry story. I was gone for so long, but you know, your girl needed a break and my mental was just in need of some TLC tender love and care for those that don't know. Um, I did want to say happy Pride Month to some and, of course, happy June to others. Um, but, anyways, to get back to it, on today's episode, we are going to be discussing a case out of Texas. Um, it is in a particular area near Galveston, Texas, to be exact. Um, it's on a 25-acre stretch of land right off of Interstate 45 or I-45. Um, and it's known as the Killing Fields. Um, there's been a whole movie about it, I think, from what I've seen with the research. There's, of course, a couple documentaries, interviews, anything that you can think of, just because it has like a lot of notoriety around it. Um, interesting fact is that before you even used to get into the area, there was a sign um, that would say, hey, you are now entering the cruel world. And I don't know about you guys, but if I would have saw that, I would have definitely turned around or maybe I would have sped up as fast as I could to see if I could get to this town or this certain area. Um, but of course, as many would guess, it is in a location that's very remote um, especially um, in the 1970s. It was super remote now, not so much. Um, but this is a place where pretty much um, where half of the murders of this particular area would take place. Uh, so subsequently, this piece of land, uh, it kind of falls under the jurisdiction of three separate counties. So if you're not familiar with how law enforcement works, and you know I'm not really familiar with it, but I do know a little bit from some of my classes I took in college, you know, my criminal justice degree. Uh, majority of the time when like a, a lot of different agencies are let's say like in a particular area more than likely they're not going to be communicating with each other so certain things aren't going to be adding up and they end up kind of just doing a terrible job at for one connecting the dots getting evidence um you know like I said just connecting the dots and for a while this is how like a lot of serial killers that kind of like got away with back then of course not just to say technology wasn't a big part of it but this is also uh, one of those things that um, kind of still take place today uh, with that being said as I said with the three jurisdictions um, in this area in Galveston Texas um, each one has its own sheriff's department it also has its own local force uh, this combines to like a number of 11 of 11 um, so you you tell me how you would think the same information or at least the same evidence would be dispersed among 11 departments. It just ain't gonna happen. It don't happen here. It don't happen there. I don't think I've ever heard of it really happening unless like the feds got involved. But even then, it's still kind of tricky because it's just so many. Uh, but yeah, so much for being organized on their part. Um, also, amongst the slew of problems in this particular area, besides just the law enforcement, it's on a highway. So, if it's on a highway, uh, of course, there's a bunch of exits, which um, kind of make for a quick escape. Um, and that kind of adds, like, the next layer of difficulty um, when it comes to, like, some of these crimes that took place out there. Um, it's kind of just, like, 
you get it and you go type vibe. So think of a drive through for killers. Although I don't want to say that. That is the reality of it. Um, since the 1970s, uh, the remains of over 30 individuals have been found in the killing fields, mainly being women and, of course, young girls. Um, while some of the victims were quickly identified, others went without a name for over 40 years, whether that was due to, of course, technology and DNA not being so advanced back then. But now, you know, we're kind of getting better with it. I know, like, a lot of older crimes are now being solved with the use of this um particular technology but back then um I think like the last thing that was on their mind was that like they had a serial killer in the area but I just find it ironic that in the 70s in particular like I don't know it seems like all the serial killers got together and they're like hey we gonna do our job I was like they had like a whole serial killer convention almost and they decided to all commit crimes during this time or maybe they realized just how easy it was just um, due to the circumstances. Uh, but anyway, uh, by 2006, the killings in this particular area had stopped. So that pretty much just tells you that uh, this was a 40-year reign of like people being killed out here. Um, and, you know, no one knew what was going on. They knew, of course, that it was a bad area to kind of be in and that no one should really go through there. But um, they just didn't know who it was. Uh, local and federal law enforcement thought it was due to the recent development, which is why the killings stopped in 2006. Um, some of those developments, of course, would include just some housing and some just a new access road that would end up leading into the killing field itself. So I guess you could say that kind of like stopped the killer, but I don't know, maybe the person died off. Maybe the person or the persons died off, but you know, uh, we're, not, we're not sure. So, as every one of these stories tend to go, uh, we do unfortunately have to discuss the victims of these terrible crimes, but at the same time, we do want to keep their memories alive and be respectful of them and, of course, of their families. So, for our very first victim, uh, which was found in the killing fields, uh, we have a 13-year-old. Her name was Colette Wilson. Um, she ended up being abducted uh, from the intersection in Alvin, Texas. Um, her band director had uh, just dropped her off and assumed that her mother was just going to be there to come pick her up. Um, and then, of course, I had to go look it up myself. I'm like, okay, well, how far is Alvin, Texas from Galveston, Texas? Because this is where the killing fields are supposed to be located at. And I just kind of wanted to see like what the area and everything was all about. So from the looks of it and how I was seeing it on the map, it's approximately probably like 40 minutes from Galveston. So not that big of a drive, but like a nice drive enough to like kind of get away from everything. I'm assuming and I'm only assuming that this is far enough out for the killer to not just feel so close to home or maybe he knew the victim. That's my opinion. I don't know. They said that her band director dropped her off, but I don't know. Seems kind of sketch to me, but I, I didn't read too much into that. But anyways, uh, Colette was last seen returning from band camp, as I said before, and just kind of waiting for her mother to come pick her up. Um, and like only a few minutes had like even passed uh, when Colette was dropped off and then her mom arrived, of course, to come pick her up and she wasn't there. Um, so immediately Colette's mom decided, hey, I need to report this crime. Like my daughter's not here. Um, and may I do mention she's 13 years old, you guys, so she's, she's she's a really young girl. She can't even drive or do anything yet for herself. So 
Um, she's just kind of out here on her own. Um, the first thing that police thought was, of course, that, yeah, Colette may have run away. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I understand why some police officers may think this or they may do that. But at the same time, I feel like they end up, like, wasting a bunch of valuable time that could be used for looking for these missing persons. Like, every person can't be a freaking runaway. And even if they are, and, I mean, I hate to say it, like, it's better, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. Because I would hate for me to be like, oh, yeah, this person's missing. And we end up wasting a couple hours. Um, and, like, maybe even being close to finding them just because, like, oh, you know, you were letting your... Um, letting what's happened in the past and letting what has happened in other cases kind of dictate what you think that may be happening to this other girl. But of course, uh, her mom didn't listen, thankfully, because a lot of parents tend to in these situations, which, I mean, you know, it's not, there's not a right thing or a wrong thing to do, but um, some people, you know, they get straight to work and others may not. But uh, thankfully, as I said, the family, they went right to work immediately. Um, they gathered everyone they knew and they ended up forming a search party to look for Colette. And in the midst of searching for Colette, unfortunately, they did find other victims. Uh, one was a 14-year-old Brenda Jones and another was a 19-year-old Gloria Ann Gonzalez. Um, each one is the bodies that they ended up finding in this killing field. Uh, area is what they called it um and then of course not too long after that they would end up finding Colette's skeletal remains um but interestingly enough and I probably said that three times you know <laughs> tap your tap your tap back for every time I say interestingly enough because it's the only trend the only um what's the what's the word for that the only transition word that I have in my brain right now because it's the only thing that's working but that's besides the point um yeah her body ended up being found near the attic's reservoir um which is it was in an area of where like a runoff was like off the dam um each one of the victims being uh for brenda jones she was last seen on her way to visit her aunt um her body ended up being found near galveston bay near the pelican island um and then we have Miss Gloria, she ended up being fine, or she was last seen near her apartment on Jacqueline Street in Houston. Um, she had, unfortunately, she ended up having um, severed remains, um, but she also ended up being found in the same area as Gloria. So one was in Pelican Island, uh, which is the next day after the search for um, Colette, and then Miss Gloria ended up being fine in the same exact area as um, Colette. So that's why they were thinking that this, of course, was the work of a serial killer because what are the odds of finding two bodies in the same area just days apart from each other? Fun fact, uh, each victim was found naked and to be on their back with their hands crossed over their chest. So immediately police were thinking, okay, we have a serial killer on our hand and we have the same killer on our hand um, that has, you know, Pose these bodies, taking their clothes, um, and of course, them each having a certain look to them being, of course, as young women or a little bit older, um, as can would be seen from this specific scenario and plenty of others. As I said before, there were over 30 remains, and these this was only like three bodies that I wanted to discuss because the story is just like super long, and I just wanted to highlight 
what I could <laughs> um, without making this, you know, this too long. But hopefully I can get to the other victims and be able to name those off for you as well. Because I do want to show respect once again to their families and not give all the to the killers. And I mean, I feel like a lot of true crime podcasts, you know, as true crime podcasts kind of do that because it's true crime. And a lot of people are interested in like how the mind of a killer works and why did they do it and what kind of upbringing did they have so as i said yeah each of their bodies uh they were found in a certain position with their hands crossed over their chest and you know they were um they didn't have any of their clothes um so of course once again i had to do a little research i'm like okay well how far are these areas from one another how far is it from galveston to the attic's uh reservoir um, from the looks of it, it looks to be like at least an hour and 15 minute drive just as long as you take the i-45 so it looks like the killer kind of really like went out of the way now it does make me think okay did the bodies get dumped there or did it like kind of travel down the stream and it ended up there but um it didn't give a lot of detail so i'm just gonna assume that the killer or whoever it was ended up driving an hour and 15 minutes out and dumping each and every one of these bodies um so the f- weird thing is that what i found from looking in the area right across from the dam is an airport uh to be exact it's the west houston airport or at that time in the 80s or at least in the 70s because this is the time period we're talking about it was known as the lakeside airport uh, which is at best a 15 minute drive from the dam or the reservoir to the airport now of course, right off the bat, you would think, okay, this is like a high-trafficked area. Like, there's a lot of people around. So, I'm like, how did he get away with it? So, I went online to see, like, how the airport looked at during that time. And, y'all, it's one of them backcountry airports. Ain't nobody back there. Ain't nobody over here. Um, it's really small. Um, so, I can see how, like, a person like that would be able to get away with it. Because it seems like it's a lot of just personal planes that are out there, smaller planes not necessarily like the ones that are like being able to carry like I don't know over like a hundred and so and so passengers on it. This is probably taking with like five people at most up at a plane at a time. So um, that's that's the only way that I think is that um, the person was able to get away with it. And maybe the airport just wasn't busy during that time, you know. Uh, so once again, in my opinion, the perfect setup for the killer. Um, most of the land in that area also it was prim- primarily just some like bayous and creeks. Um, that were just kind of like running off into that reservoir so just a lot of like wetlands and that's it like just country think of a swamp and that's what you got out there well not necessarily a swamp because those are two different bodies of water but you get where I'm going with this um so as I said before they think that all of these crimes were to be the work of one killer some people think it was the work of several serial killers which I think that's I I mean, I don't think it's impossible, but it's just the the thought of so many killers being in, like, one area that's kind of, like, unsettling. I'm not saying it's impossible, but the likelihood of it is, like, I don't know, super slim. Um, I thought that maybe it could have been, like, a duo or... Maybe it was one person, like, over time that was just kind of, like, gaining confidence with each kill just because, like, all of, like, it, it was in primarily, like, one area and they found, like, 30 bodies and each of the bodies were positioned in a certain way. So, um, 
I'm not gonna say they had like copycats or or what, but um, I don't know. Just seems kind of sketched to me. Um, in this uh, particular case, there ended up being like four main suspects. Each one of them ended up having like some kind of record to do with them, and of course their lives. Um, one was a Michael Lloyd Self, a Edward Harold Bell, a William Lewis Reese, and of course a Mark Stallings. Now, usually, you guys, I would go into the details of these killers, but I don't think they deserve the limelight. Once again, I would like to keep this um, certain episode on the victims and like who they were um, as, you know, being women and uh, young women to be um, for themselves. So I did want to take a little time to sit here and kind of name out each and every one of the victims. Um, if I could, that being 30, I'll try to name like the first 15 and then I'll keep the other 15 I'll add that on to like a post or something like that just so I'm not missing anyone but as you guys know and as I said before we had the first three we had a Colette Wilson we have a Brenda Jones a Rhonda Johnson Sharon Shaw Gloria Gonzalez Allison Craven Debbie Ackerman Maria Johnson Kimberly Pitchford Susan Bowers Brooks Bracewell Georgia Jeer Michelle Garvey, Sandra Ramber, Heidi Villarreal Fi, Laura Miller, and of course, an Audrey Cook and Shelly Sykes. Now, that was only 19, and of course, we still have like 11 more after that. But I did want to bring a highlight, and I will be sure to name the next 10 after that because I don't want to leave anyone out. But yeah, you guys, so it's a really messed up area from just like what I'm looking at. Um, it really sucks. I'm just like, what the heck is going on in Texas? And I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on it. And, like, there ended up being, like, one of the guys that I had mentioned um, in particular. His name was, I think, Mark Stallings. He ended up um, confessing to one of the murders. Uh, I think it was Adana, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, yeah, he ended up... Um, saying that he um committed that crime against donna prudhomme um she was discovered in the field in the 3000 block of caldero which is really close um unfortunately you know once again like they're just pretty much like remains so the coroner is only able to estimate that uh, she was a female victim around the age from 24 to 34 had to be around like five foot five and weighed probably 100 to 130 pounds um they think that she ended up dying several months prior to being found so she had been out there for a pretty long time and um you know just like super unfortunate you know uh, i really hate that like this like particular thing happened just because it happened for so long like once again as i said this is for over like 40 years and i mean if i am considering it i'm like okay well maybe at that time you know this person was um around the age of let's say like 20-ish 30-ish if it was the work of one person and like by 2006 20 years that went I mean 20 40 years that went by and this person is at least in their 70s so it would seem plausible that um this person may have just like simply died and you know just wasn't able to continue of course like due to age and um as I said before the recent development that was going on in that particular area but yeah you guys that's that's pretty much it for this episode this is the um case of the killing fields um 
I hope I was able to do my due diligence in keeping the memory of each and every one of the victims alive today and not the killers, of course. But please remember, you guys, please stay aware, be aware wherever you are. Um, and as most women know, we cannot trust all men. And the same for men, you cannot trust all women. Um, I hope I never have to report a story myself of any of my listeners and vice versa. But I did want to say I love you guys and I'm sorry for the wait. Uh, but I hope this episode was worth it. I know it's kind of a little bit of a short one, but I did want to bring a little light to it. Um, even though it has gotten a lot of um, nor- notoriety as its own, but it did. Um, as you know, you can always find today's episode on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platforms. And always remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Simply Ambivalent. And I will see you guys next time for another simple story.